How much do you know about menopause? Do you understand that as a woman, the process starts when you get your first cycle? Do you know the signs and changes that happen during perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause? Do you know that it doesn't have to be a long phase of suffering for women? Maybe you're like me and know that it has something to do with hot flashes and hormones, but you don't know much more. <laughs> well, what if I told you that there are some natural practices that you can implement that will help your body no matter what phase you're in? And then all the horror stories you've heard don't have to be true for you. My guest today is Zora Benhamu. She is a gerontologist and health, breathwork, and nutrition coach. She's an expert at helping women age gracefully. It's a shame that women aren't taught more about their hormones, really. But Zora is going to help educate us today and talk us through a pyramid of natural biohacking tools to help us prepare for and approach menopause without suffering. No matter your age, this is information worth knowing. It's never too late or too soon to understand more about your body. Welcome to the Daily Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Meredith. I've led my family on a transformative health journey for over a decade, and now I help other families do the same. So this is a place where you can learn about healthy living and take the next step in your wellness journey. Zora, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to discuss the menopause. I know. I just, <laughs> I, it's funny to say that I'm excited. It's like saying you're excited about cleaning or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's because we have to make a stereotype on it. We're going to change that. Yeah, I know, because it really is so important. So I'm, first of all, just very intrigued by your story and, you know, professionally how you got to do what you are doing today and how you got to that point. So could you kind of give us some background on you and, and what you're doing in your life? Okay, so I am, I'll just throw out some, some terminology you may not know. I'm a gerontologist, and I'm a biohacker, and I'm a nomad, <laughs> and I'm also a podcast host. So these are sort of my, my, my titles. And I've been health coaching for a long time, and that's sort of what led me into this path of biohacking and, and eventually menopause as well, because that's what my audience has been asking for. And uh, I'm 53 myself and going through this menopause transition so obviously learning more about hormones and menopause is, is right up my alley. I did my master's of gerontology uh, at USC, and this is the study of aging and longevity. So we we look at gerontologist is not a geriatric physician. It's That's a doctor for older adults. But a gerontologist is somebody who, who likes to understand how people are aging, why we get certain diseases. We advocate for older adults, and we try to look at social policies, and we look at the this whole life course to understand those things from birth to death. So we we it's not just, oh, okay, you're getting old and you have this disease and why getting it? No, we have certain issues later on in life because of what's been happening through our childhood, through our young adulthood, et cetera, et cetera. So we like to look at at the whole the whole experience. And it's not only the biological uh, effects of aging, but the psychological and the sociological impact that that has as well. So, I love this study, and I I'm, was I got into it because I I'm, I've always been interested in health and wellness and intrigued and watched the science evolve and and trends change and I I get confused when I was younger I was like well do we eat 
butter or we don't eat butter and do we eat eggs or not? <laughs> do we take hormones or not take hormones? Like it's good, bad. And you're so confused. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to get certified in this or get a master's in this and try to understand where's the truth. So helped me as well become a better advocate for myself, advocate for older adults and and to, to empower women with what I know and how to do your own research and not just listen to things. I always tell people that, to ask critical questions and even what I say, question it. Don't just believe it. Question it. Does it apply to you or does it not apply to you? So it's a little bit the the bio the the gerontology thing is there and I'm not sure if you want me to explain what biohacking is. Yeah. Could you just explain kind of what it is and the connection to aging that it has? Yes. So biohacking is an is it's kind of a new word. It's it's been around forever and ever. It's just that now we have a different word for it. And it's a it's generally refers to a group of people who are called biohackers who are into health optimization, not just being like average. Okay. So when you go to the doctor and you get your blood work and and they say, Oh, you're in the normal ranges, we get a little disappointed. We're like, well, the average American is sick. So that's like getting a C. <laughs> yeah. I want to get an A or a B. So how do we do that? And so we take external factors and sometimes internal factors and we try to do these little experiments with ourselves and we see look for a physiological reaction, a different. And we like to measure, test, measure, and assess. So we like to wear some some technology like this this aura ring and we like to look at our heart rate our heart rate variability which is a measure for stress and recovery we like data and we only really care about this n of one experiment because we can read the research we can understand this study but if a study of 50 year old finnish men taking a sauna bath every day gives them three years of life expectancy well, I don't know. Will that apply to a woman who's 38-year-old Asian? And you know, I, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> we can't just uh, assume. We just have to say, okay, we'll, we'll do our own little sauna experiment and see see what happens. So so biohackers and, and biohacking is, is really about learning about your own body, experimenting a little bit with it, knowing that sometimes these experiments go great and sometimes they don't go so great. Mm-hmm. But we do it because we know that we're all bio-individual. So what we read in an article, what we hear in a podcast, we just say, okay, maybe it'll work, maybe not. I don't know. Depends on my genes. It depends on my lifestyle. Depends on my age, my gender, all these things. Uh, So we just like to experiment a little bit and we take responsibility of our own health and and just be our own best health advocate. And that's, that's what biohackers do. I love that so much. Take responsibility of your own health. That could be like mantra of the whole podcast. That's so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and I thought that. it was a it's a good link in with gerontology and with menopause as well, because it was interesting when I did my me- gerontology studies, they didn't really know what biohacking was. I'm like, Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> we there's a whole world of peptides out there that like, you, we should be sharing with our older adults. And so I like and and the biohacking community doesn't really know so much about gerontology and 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 older adults because they're seems that the, the community is dominated by young men. So I love to bring these two communities into each other and and, the, and what my knowledge of these two areas, bring it together and then present it targeted for a niche audience, which is a woman going through this menopause transition because we are concerned about older age. We want to do things now so that we we have better health as we get older. But, you know, females need a different approach and then older females need at top of that another different approach when it comes to biohacking and little experiments with ourselves. 
Yeah. Okay. That's really great explanation. Thank you for that. And I think that you're very much on the right track. If your expertise is in aging and longevity and your audience is women, of course, like one of the major events we're going to go through as we get older is menopause and perimenopause. And so I would love to ask you some questions specifically about that. Can you just kind of clarify um, what the difference between perimenopause and menopause is and kind of when those stages might start for a woman? Okay. there. I'm so glad you asked that because we throw around some words and, it, and it's not exactly accurate, but we just broad word, we would say menopause. And me included, we'll say menopause, but I actually mean the time before the actual menopause event and the time after. And so there's the words menopause is really just a one day event. It's the 12 consecutive months without your period. So if you went six months without a period, then you got it again, then you have to rewind the clock, start all over again. I think it's one of the stupidest things to do because sometimes doctors won't help you or treat you until you actually have <laughs> 12 days, 12 months, 12 consecutive months. And so it's kind of hard because if you're going through this transition, you may need some help. So perimenopause is the time around this menopausal experience. And usually it starts around five years, sometimes 10 before the actual date of those 12 consecutive months without a period, that menopause date. So uh, that's generally a woman in their 40s, right? That's, you've got to be paying attention. Oh, you know, maybe I'm going through perimenopause, maybe not. But being aware of that is important. And then everything after that menopause date is called postmenopause. But oftentimes people use the word premenopause and they think it's perimenopause, and that's different. Premenopause is the time before that perimenopause. So it's from when you get your period and when you're 12 or 13 up until about the age of 40s, right? That's premenopause. You're in that childbearing years. And then we have a couple of other words that are early onset menopause, and that can happen uh, early 40s, let's say early, because normally it's the the average age of menopause is 51. Really, it's an average. Some women go before, some went after. But let's say that's that's 51. Then then that early onset would be t- between the ages of 40 and 46, more or less. And then there's premature menopause. And that's another word. And it's also known as premature ovarian insufficiency. Some people say ovarian failure. This is if you have menopause before the age of 40. Okay, and that's just 1% of the women in the U.S. have this. So not to worry too much, not likely, but it can happen. And then anything before the age of 30 is called, if you have a menopause before the age of 30, it's called ovarian failure. Okay, so that's really unusual, and that's 0.1% of the population. So, uh, But it can happen, just to bring awareness of all this terminology. Uh, you know, But the most important ones really are the pre-menopause and know what that is, perimenopause, and then the post-menopause. Yeah, that is very enlightening. I definitely learned something in that explanation. So thank you. And it's really helpful and interesting to think about menopause starting when you first get your period or when your cycle starts and in those childbearing years. I mean, that's kind of a new thought for me. Really? (laughs) Yeah, when you're 
you're 13, you don't go, I'm pre-menopausal. Right. <laughs> no. But technically, yeah, that's the area. You're pre before the menopause experience. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's great. So how do you know if, I guess, if you're pre-menopausal, like what are some of the symptoms that you're kind of maybe moving out of the pre-menopausal into the peri or maybe getting close to menopause? I mean, I know your cycle is one, like how often you're getting your cycle, but what's some other things we could be looking for? Yeah, most women, when they think about menopause, and maybe men too, because they don't know very much about menopause at all, but they go, okay, it's the time when you lose your period and you can't uh, you can't have you know just stop making eggs and and let's say you don't have babies anymore. That's pretty much what most people know. Right, You've heard of hot flashes, right, and night sweats. So that's the extent I think of most people. And so when you are going through perimenopause, there's like a hundred different types of symptoms. So you, you never know about all the others, and that's why you may go, oh, you know, you wouldn't attribute it to the law, the gradual loss of your. I mean, sorry, the gradual loss of your hormones starts, um, you know, in those peri perimenopause and then it's just some you know just really quickly goes down very very fast men also go through andropause and they lose their 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 testosterone and some of their hormones but it's so gradual and it's like they don't have that's why they don't have this sudden uh, symptoms right they they may have symptoms later on but it's just not it's it's much smoother transition than women so women if you're in your 40s or even late 30s it's not unusual you can have um Maybe you're becoming a little bit more insulin resistant, meaning that, oh, oh I can't eat the same things. Like the diet I, hasn't changed and my exercise hasn't changed, but I seem to be gaining a little bit of weight, mostly around this belly area. And it could be a cause of just the, the hormones changing. Unless you really are sedentary, you're suddenly not moving anymore, and then that's maybe another reason. But if you're really like generally eating the same and, and moving the same, but I can't seem I'm, I'm, I'm gaining weight, could be could be early signs of of perimenopause, uh, moodiness, depression, anxiety. Um, if you go to the doctor when you're in your 40s with these kind of symptoms, so often a doctor would say, well, let me give you an antidepressant. And then very rarely think, oh, wow, maybe you are in perimenopause. So really challenge your doctor to, or to, to ask them, am I in perimenopause? Could it be, if you, especially if you don't want to be taking antidepressants? Uh, hair thinning, hair loss, um, skin flaccidity, a little bit more, your skin is a little bit more saggy, we, that we notice, and, and uh, the wrinkles, you know, all of this, this loss of estrogen, which is one of our sex hormones, is really uh, contributes to some of this as well. It, estrogen is every single, practically every single cell in the body has an estrogen receptor. So we, when we don't have estrogen anymore, that's when a lot of things start to change. It's harder to build muscle. And you're thinking, wow, I was able to build it so fast when I was younger and suddenly you can't. Well, you don't got estrogen anymore. It's starting to go down. There can be um, uh, some brain fog as well. You're, you're thinking about where where are my keys a little bit too often or you walk into a room and you're like, why did I enter here again? Um, and that can, you can have these little moments in life have nothing to do with your hormones. But if it just happens a little bit more and more frequently, then you may go, okay, maybe I'm, I, I, it's due to, to the hormones uh, being lost. And there can be vaginal dryness. There's, um, there's just so, there's so much, there's so much that can, that can happen. I, you know, the list can go on and on and on. And, and I'm, I'm afraid to list it 
all of it because it sounds so depressing. And I want women to know that one, not every woman has every symptom in the world. There are plenty of women who have zero symptoms. So maybe you're one of those lucky ones. Uh, but majority of women have some kind of a symptom on a spectrum from very mild to very severe. So we want to, you know, we're, we'll, you'll see where you're at, but for whatever reasons, whatever symptoms you have, there are always solutions. You do not need to suffer in silence. You don't need to just grit your teeth and get through it. Honestly, it's you're so much better off finding solutions rather than just keep going on because this transition can last 10 years. So that's a long time to be miserable if you're not feeling getting the sleep that you're getting, you know, then the night sweats and and uh, the stress and and the things that can go along with it and just yeah, just please don't don't grit your teeth and go through it. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to talk about some of your ideas for solutions and kind of how to walk through some of those hard, hard symptoms and challenges that come. But just a couple clarifying questions. So if the average is like 51 for someone to experience menopause, it, what do you think about that? Do you think that if someone experiences it around that age, like that's a healthy, normal thing? Or would you say? Yes. And that's just the 12 months, consecutive right. months without your period. So that is that I don't think I think if you get your if you go through menopause, you know, when you're 48 or you're 53, not a big deal. Not a, no, I don't think it's that there's nothing um, really major difference in in India, for example, the average age is 48, depending on, you know, I'm just talking about North America, for, for example, is 51 in Europe as well as 51. So, but there are different parts of the world where they do experience it later or earlier, the average age. But, but it is, it's in, what's interesting that I, I, I found out was that humans are, and whales are the only animals that go through menopause. Huh. Isn't that crazy? That and like, crazy. well, why don't the other animals go through menopause? Like, yeah. because very often when you're doing research and studies, you're like, oh, it's done on mice, it's done on worms and flies and, and they look at animals and you know, monkeys, and now, and now there's no. I'm like, there's no research on animals on menopause. <laughs> like, what's going on? And I go, oh, there's because they don't go through menopause other than whales, and uh, and yeah. I'm trying to figure out why why they do and uh, and why, yeah. why humans. But humans, we we don't have that much information and research on women in menopause because we weren't living as long as we were <laughs> before, and we're dying a little earlier, so we didn't really have to deal with many women going through this. But now because of the baby boomers and we have this aging population, just masses of amounts of women going through menopause at the same time. We have 50 million women going through menopause annually worldwide. In in the US alone, there's 6,000, I think about 6,000 women going through menopause every single day. Every single day, someone's going hitting that 12, 12 month mark. And that's wow. a lot of ladies. Yeah, a lot of women that need help. <laughs> yes, yes. That's so good to know. I just wanted to know, like, so if I if I'm hitting menopause around 51, you know, like, is that a good or bad average? Because that gives me some peace good. of mind. I just thought, you know, sometimes we talk about averages and health, and it's not actually yeah. a good average that you would want to hit, you know, because like the average, yes. skin, for example, is sick and diseased. So I don't want to be average. Of that. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking, like, is this a good average, like, or not? Like, is this? 
There's a little bit of research. It's not very robust and it's not a lot that if you have, uh, you delay menopause because everyone's going to go through menopause if you're lucky enough because you will live long enough to go through it. But uh, if you delay it, uh, it it may be more beneficial for your health. So, but that's just, you know, that's a little bit controversial, but you can, gotcha. you know, if you, if you delay it, you know, don't feel bad. <laughs> and then another clarifying question is what else do we need to know about hormones during that time? So you talked about the drop in estrogen um, and the estrogen yes. receptors in our bodies. Is there any other helpful information that you think we yeah. know about what's happening with our hormones during those times? Oh, I think I think women of any age should know more about their hormones. And I'm I'm really glad that that there's this wave as well. You see women who are in childbearing years and you see a plenty of Instagrams and Facebook information and people trying to educate each other on on hormones and just getting familiar with the terminology like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. These are words that that have been flying around. Those are the basic sex hormones that that you should know about because they do play huge roles in the body for so many things. I would also consider the thyroid hormone uh, because when we go through this menopause transition, thyroid can can start to malfunction or doesn't the the, the results uh, the res the results so often may be fine. You may in your blood tests. And your doctor may be selling, telling you to go home, you're fine, because they only look at one marker, which is uh, thyroid-stimulating hormone, TSH. And thyroid is so much more than that. So if you're still feeling bad and the doctor's sending you home saying everything's fine, I would ask for more testing, which is T3, T4, reverse T3, and there's a whole other list of, of hormones that you take a little bit of a deeper dive and then it may explain why you are losing your hair, why you're so fatigued, why you're, you know, and that has nothing to do with menopause, right? It could be related to menopause, but maybe it's just your thyroid and you're 33 years old and, you know, you're still far away from menopause, but it's your thyroid. But I, I pay attention to your thyroid hormone and your cortisol hormone. So it's um, very important to to understand that insulin as well. These are hormones that I think you need to just be just learn a little bit more about it, understand what their functions are for, and then you can ask your doctor. You do a little bit more research, and you can always come to your doctor presenting something that you found online and say, "What does this mean, and does it apply to me?" Yeah, that's a great transition into kind of talking about solutions. I think because testing is one thing that I think a lot of women try to do. Um, and like you said, I've heard so many stories of women saying, I don't feel good, but my doctor says, you know, my tests are normal. Um, and I know part of that is because of the testing that they do and that it's insufficient. Um, but can you kind of walk us through like at that point, if a woman isn't feeling well, right, and they're not sure what the next steps to take are, what would you recommend? So let's say we're talking to a woman in her 40s that could be could be menopause or not. So the, the problem with blood testing in this period, if you are going through perimenopause, is that the hormones fluctuate so much and your progesterone can be high in the morning and very low at night or, you know, the doctor can test on the same day and you may have very different results. So doctors generally don't like to take blood tests. There are some that do, 
uh, some of it sometimes is partly just to make sure there's nothing so out of whack, like way out of the range, uh, as well as to satisfy the patient because we like to have testing. We don't like doctors just prescribe stuff without knowing. And that's just, you know, even though it may be perfectly fine, you know, many doctors uh, will prescribe hormone therapy without any testing. So uh, that's they just want to treat the symptoms. And so even though that's sort of the standard of care, there are doctors who say, I do want my patient to be happy if she is willing to do the test, because it depends if they have to pay out of pocket or not. And and if, if they're all for it, they're like, right, you know what? It's just a little bit more information. But I am a big fan of the dry urine testing. There's uh, something called the Dutch test, dry urine test of comprehensive hormones. And that not only tells you where your hormones are at, but it tells you how they're metabolizing. How are they converting? Because you can have estrogen. It explains there's three different types of estrogen. There's estrone, that's E1, estradiol, that's E2, and then there's estriol, which is E3. So we have to understand also, I know it's like a lot of terminology in, in one little podcast, but just listening to this, you'll hear someone else talk about it. It's going to start sinking in. So we have, um, uh, if these hormones start to go down a negative pathway, well, then you're putting yourself at risk. And that's whether or not you're taking hormone therapy. It's just, whoa, it's going down a bad pathway. And then a doctor can say, oh, we can correct this with this supplement or with this hormone or with whatever it is. So it's, I really like that test because it gives you a little bit more of a deeper dive. However, doctors need to be trained in understanding how to read this test. It's not standard medical uh, um, school material. So this is usually a functional medicine doctor. And unfortunately, this test is expensive. It's about, um, I think it's $300 more or less. Then you pay a functional medicine doctor a couple hundred dollars, and it's very quickly unaffordable. So it's not absolutely necessary but if you can uh, afford it or if you ask for a gift one year for Christmas, yes, it's, it's a nice little thing to have just to know where you're at and how those, meta- those hormones metabolizing. And it does measure your cortisol as well. It does give you so much information. And then as you go through the transition, you can take another test and then you compare how they're doing. This being said, I just screened a very interesting doctor for a podcast interview just before you. And he was telling me about the 24-hour urine test. And I was like, yeah, the Dutch. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's very different. And uh, so I I could have spoken to him at the whole time and used that as if the podcast, but I didn't want to take too much time. So I, I said, let's save this for the podcast. But, but just to give people a heads up, because you'll hear a lot of people like me going, Dutch, 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 it's the gold standard. It's the best. And then you get a doctor like this, who's very much in the, he's, he's uh, very qualified and he's been around for a very long time treating women with hormones. And uh, I was really convinced by him, which is why I'm going to have him on. But find out a little bit more about the 24-hour test. He, he just piqued my interest in that. So I want to just give you this information very quickly. Yeah, before. that's a good tip. And I just want to throw in there, like, I've had to go through the mental battle of, you know, deciding whether or not to spend the money on myself, like, right, to get the mm-hmm. testing and to see the right doctor and things like that. And I will just say that the times of where I have, you know, go, gone ahead and done the the best testing that I can get and seen like the best doctor that I can see, 
Um, it has been so worth it. And I just want to encourage you ladies. I know that price tag can look daunting sometimes, but if you would compare that with long-term suffering and long-term treatment, seeing doctor after doctor, um, you know, trying, you know, one treatment after another treatment after another treatment and still not feeling well because you never found out what was actually going on, like you're probably going to save money in the long run. And it's yes. just gonna, like improve your quality of life so much. So I just wanted to throw that in there. You're so right. And I, I really encourage people to put away every month money for your health. Okay. I know you may have health insurance or, but you'll be surprised what health insurance does not cover. And then you're going to be caught off guard. So you you wouldn't want to put it aside maybe for your, I don't know, supplements or some special retreat where you, you're going to do mindfulness meditation or something. You can use it for that emergency when you really need that those testing done. Just put it aside because you, you just don't want to be caught when you really, really need it. So I, I really encourage people to do that because it, these things do do add up. But I do believe in investing in your health. Another test, actually, I would say um, to do in your 40s is an osteoporosis test. It's called a bone density scan or DEXA scan. There's other ones that are called REMS, which is a little bit more deep. Uh, it's not as widely available. It's R-E-M-S. And uh, I have a great podcast I did with Dr. Doug Lucas, so you can go search him up. And he explains all of that because in the U.S., healthcare insurance generally covers this scan when you're 65 and it's just way too late. It's just, then it's, you're already probably in it. And so if you're able to take it, and it's kind of a fun thing to do because you, you can oftentimes mix it with a body composition test, see where your fat is, where do you accumulate it and the muscle, and then you can retest and see how it's changed uh, after maybe doing a certain protocol. But then you get to see, is your is your risk of osteoporosis going up? Because we know that the loss of estrogen is putting you at risk for osteoporosis. Women get it a lot more than men, and it has to do with your hormones. So being in a, doing, taking action early, it doesn't mean you take hormone therapy. It doesn't, you don't have to. It helps definitely across the board. Everyone's agreeing. There's enough research, and we can say clearly that it does help with osteoporosis, but there are a lot of other things you can do, like high-impact exercises, um, jumps, and you can do uh Running and all these things, these impact exercises, lifting heavy weights, all all help with the osteoporosis. Of course, a good diet and your sleep and your stress management, all this stuff helps as well. But um, but I would definitely get a scan. Just know where you're at in your 40s, and then you know you test again as you get closer to 50. Okay, that's a great tip, man. We have lots of good like test taking tips in this one for your health, which is. Not a lot of doctors talk about this kind of thing, so I think this is going to be super helpful. Um, okay. So those are just yeah. I know you. The question was, what do you do if you start feeling these symptoms? And yeah. and 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 again, this to reiterate, it's you don't just jump and test and all that. One is you just go to your doctor, and hopefully he or she is is can help you. And if they can't, then you know then you got to seek out someone who specializes in women's health. And if you suspect that it could be perimenopause. I would definitely go to a menopause specialist. And you can go to the Menopause Society. It's the, uh, used to be called the North American Menopause Society that just rebranded. You can go to their website and you can find practitioners, people who've been trained 
and can uh, help guide you. And and there's a lot of telemedicine. You can do so much stuff by telemedicine. And, and if they ask for blood work, well, if you're in the U.S. particularly, it's quite easy to to do. And you just they look at your results and they and they can guide you. But but you really having a good doctor is so key, so key. And if you're being gaslit or pushed aside and not being heard, you really need to change the doctor. Yeah, great tips. I know you teach women how to biohack <laughs> menopause symptoms. So what are, give me some examples of what that looks like. What are some of the biohacking tools and practices you recommend? So the the biohacks are the foundation of biohack pyramid. So the base of the pyramid is generally the stuff we all know. It's getting the proper nutrition. And for women going through menopause, so often I see them eating too little, training too hard, and they're going into this low energy state. And then their body is holding onto this fat and they, they're they just trying to do what worked for them in their 30s and it's not working anymore. And it's because it's hormones. So so getting that and enough enough um, appropriate training, right? And an appropriate recovery. Sometimes you do need a little bit more time to recover than you did before. And you get enough strength training. We want to build muscle because as we get older, we tend to become more insulin resistant, right? Where we can't eat those types of foods anymore as much as we used to. So, but when we have muscle, that just like soaks up, <laughs> soaks that all up, and you can get your blood sugar balanced so much better. So then we talk about the stress component. Uh, that definitely we need to manage stress. It's the hardest part, I think, of all, but one of the most impactful because then you're going to probably sleep better, and we need to practice good sleep hygiene. So a lot of biohacks, like these glasses that I'm wearing, these these um, these are called blue blocking glasses. Because here where I'm at, it's 6.30. I'm looking at the computer for the next hour, and I want to conserve my melatonin. I want That's your sleep hormone, right? We want to, to be able to get sleepy at the appropriate time. So if I keep looking at my screen all day long and up until the, before I go to bed, then I'm going to have a hard time putting that phone down and then just expect myself to fall asleep. So those are this, these basic hacks we all kind of know what we should do. And when you do those, and that's including, actually, I'm talking about uh, community. You're talking about your social connections. We're talking about your purpose in life. You know, these are also part of the base of the the biohacking. It's so people may think it's, oh, biohacking supplements and it's injections and it's these gadgets. And yeah, we love that, but they don't work as well. Or if you don't have that foundation, and if you do the foundation, you may not need those extra little biohacks. But but some of them that help women for uh, hot flashes or for um, better sleep, better immune function is ice bathing. That's one great little hack that some people try to resist, but you don't have to sit there very long. But getting a little bit of cold, especially when you're feeling hot, <laughs> it really, really helps cool the body down, but it also impacts uh, the brain health. It's so great for blood circulation. It's important for so many other things. And as we go through menopause, it's it's a really nice little thing to include. And if you cannot get to an ice bath, because some gyms provide this or some communities will offer that. If you get a chance, go, because it's so wonderful to do in a community. But you can take a, a cold shower. And that's, uh, you know, you may not desire to do that in the wintertime, but you just start out with just a few seconds and then you build up to maybe 10 or 20 seconds and you can do a contrast hot, cold, hot, cold until you just build up maybe a minute, maybe two. 
And then that helps. And if you get it at the very back of your neck, that nape of your neck, that also has a little bit more of an impact. I know it's like, oh, it's chilly, but but that's one little hack um, that, that I like to bring in as well as, have you heard of red light therapy? I have, yeah. So red light therapy, some people go into saunas. Um, if you got one nearby, uh, some people buy these things or you can get smaller versions uh, or you can use a device like a flex beam. This is something you lay on top of a joint because joint pain is a, a symptom of perimenopause. So if you can bring in blood circulation through the red light, that helps as well, lower the pain and then you can sleep better. And I, I have this as my part of my sleep stack, part of my sleep hygiene is just having that little device somewhere on my body. And and I'm forced to like sit for 10 minutes. I mean, you can strap these on and walk around too, but I like to be part of my sleep routine. So I may listen to some meditation guided or music or book or something. And I'm literally it's just breath winding down for bed. Yeah. Breath work is another fabulous biohack. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. And um, I'm a breath work instructor. I forgot to mention that I went through the oxygen advantage. And it just teaches functional breathing. It's not other types. There's so many types of breathing, but learning how to breathe in life is fabulous. But when you're going through menopause and if you're having anxiety and stress and a little bit of depression, learning how to breathe is is so life-changing, actually, that I, I love to, to teach this technique. And there's you can't learn somehow. You, you, there's so many instructors out there, or YouTube videos uh, for whatever it is. You just Google breath work for pain or breath work for sleep or breath work for stress and you'll you'll likely get something um, but the functional breathing is, is a little bit different i don't know if you i i should go into that but but that's just how you need to breathe every single day yeah that's so good if i feel like we have just covered so many topics in this and we could probably talk about this for another hour <laughs> but for yeah. the sake of time um i want to kind of wrap up with three questions that i ask every guest and the first one is just to share like a healthy living resource that you would recommend. So actually for that, can I choose what yours is? Because I want I want you to share your resources, if that's okay. Um, I'd love for you to share how people can connect with you and what resources you offer to women. Okay. And before I do that, I completely forgot that I didn't finish the pyramid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So we the got the base. base with like nutrition, yeah, sleep, yeah. things like that. Yeah. The middle of the base are the supplements, the adaptogens, uh, things that you don't need a doctor for, right? And, and a lot of women who are going through menopause may like uh, ashwagandha for to, to calm down or maca to have a bit more energy, shishandra, viriola. These are just some adaptogens um, just to throw out, out there if, if women want them. The Then the top tier are the things that you need a doctor for, which be like bioidentical hormone therapy, maybe some uh, PRP or injections for your you know, for your um, joint pain, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to finish that pyramid because people like to go to the top, the top t tiers of the, the pyramid, and 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 that you can include that too. But I just don't want people to rely only on that. But right, and if you start there, it's probably not going to be nearly as effective if you have all of these foundational things still out of whack. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so where to find me? Now you can find me on hackmyage.com. And you, it's same thing. I'll hack my age is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Everything is hack my age. If you can remember that. If you can't, Zora the Explorer is also a way to find me. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's if you know Dora the Explorer, then yeah. you can remember with a Z or a Z. 
and you can find Zora the Explorer. And uh, yeah, I'm so everywhere. I've got also a, a Facebook group for called Biohacking Menopause. If if you suspect you're going there, and you want to learn more. You're more than welcome to jump jump in. It's free. It's just a space, a safe space, women only, please. And uh, and then I've got I've got programs to help women biohack menopause on my website as well. If you need a little bit more guidance, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I know there's going to be some women that want to keep learning from you, so I wanted to make sure we covered that. And I'll put all of this in the show notes for everyone too. If you're listening in the car right now and you're like, I can't write this down, just go to the show notes later and you'll find all of the info you need for Zora. And then my second question is, do you have a favorite healthy snack? Ah, it changes a lot um, (laughs) because it depends like what recipe I found. But I very much rely on um, my nuts, like like almonds. They're just so easy. And I I usually have some in my bag. You know, if you just get a a rumble in your stomach and you go, oh, I need to eat and I'm not going to eat for a while. Nuts, I think, are pretty much my thing. I, I can't get in... I'm a nomad and I'm spent a lot of time in Europe and Asia and we, there's not a whole lot of like those in the US you get those like keto snacks or something that comes in a bar like protein bars and all these you can get some but usually they're not that great and not as big of a variety as, as in the US so so for now it's yeah it's pretty much nuts are my go-to. I'd say you're better off for that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but I always get envious when I go to the U.S. I'm like, oh my gosh, you got so many things, and I don't have to like make my own bars and my own, you know, brownies or something. <laughs> yes, like it can't be very convenient at times, but you have to be super careful because there are so many packaged options that are just marketed to you as healthy and are really not. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, I stand there for like an hour reading labels. <laughs> Me too. Gosh, like my husband and my goes away, and I'm like, just go away. I need to read all the ingredients here because I don't know these. But what yeah. if you do it once, it's done. Then you go to your favorites. Yeah, right? true. What's your health favorite s- snack? Um, right now I've been doing yogurt a lot. So I actually have someone that delivers raw milk to my house and I use it, uh, some of it to make yogurt. And so I all snack on just plain yogurt with like a drizzle of honey and usually some kind of like chia seeds or hemp hearts on there and maybe berries if I have them or something like that. But that's usually my go-to for a little like afternoon pick-me-up with some protein and fat so oh nice oh that sounds so good i think i'm gonna make one right now <laughs> <It's> inspired me <laughs> okay so last... raw milk That's yes awesome. i know i'm i love it so much i'm like if you're ever close to going out of business let me know and i will find you more customers because you can never stop delivering milk to my house <laughs> oh that's so cool and then third question is, who would you love to see as a guest on the Daily Wellness Podcast? Do you know who's such a good interview is JJ Virgin. Do you know her? Yeah, I've heard of her. She's, she, I just interviewed her and she's just so fabulous. I think she's great for women. I, I mean, it's you, 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 your audience, you have both women and men, correct? But she, women's mostly women. Yeah, she's just she's in her 60s now and she's been podcasting forever and just a wealth of knowledge. And I love her energy. She's got great, um, just great advice. She makes things really practical for you. Tips, you know, just you go home and you're like, oh, I got she just said to this. So I, I think she'd be a great interview. Okay, great. I'll check into that and connect with her. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Yes. No, let me know if you need help with that. 
It's been lovely chatting with you. Seriously, I have had some aha moments myself, and I just know women are going to learn so much from this. So thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Daily Wellness Podcast. We hope that you found it helpful for your own wellness journey. And if so, we'd love for you to leave a review. Then come back and listen for review shout outs on upcoming episodes. For more information, check out the show notes and connect with us on our website, dailywellnesscommunity.com.